Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed. It's the Film Review Podcast, where good taste and bad taste mix together in a, a very, very careful manner. And then, oh no, it exploded! Well done. Thank uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> good, good editing. It's the same sound effect. I'm not going to switch it up for you, Whitney. No. no. Yeah. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibel. Uh, I'm a film critic. I write for The Wrap. Uh, with me, as always, is my far more scintillating, intelligent, interesting co-host, William, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is William Bibiani. None of those things Whitney said are true. Um, oh my goodness, don't don't be self-deprecating. I, it's own the it. only kind own, of deprecating your, I'm comfortable being. Own your talents. That's actually not true. I'm a film critic. Um, but uh, We <laughs> deprecate movies all the time. Right? Um, when when we feel it's justified. Uh, oh, anyway. No, no, never unduly. Anyway, I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Vibs. Uh, I write for The Rap. I write for Slash Film. Uh, mostly I do what we're doing right here, the podcasties. <laughs> Uh, And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we got some movies to review. We've got the big old blockbuster Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And since uh, not a lot of movies were very comfortable opening against that in theaters... Got, We've got, got, got some got video, a couple of little ones on streaming, but a couple some, of video on demand type some interesting items. ones. Yeah. I think so. Uh, we've got a, a new action movie starring Thomas Jane called One Ranger, and a pair of horror movies entitled The Third Saturday in October Part Five, and The Third Saturday in October, uh, which came after. Technically, yes. Uh, you could watch them in either order, but the gag is uh, it is a long-lost horror movie film franchise that nobody talks about, and you're mm. rediscovering first the fifth film in the series, then the mm. original. Well, we'll talk about how that gag works or doesn't work when we talk about those movies. Uh, and I think the uh, a very particular experience that the filmmakers are trying to capture. Yes, mm. indeed. But um, you know, there's no sense in, in, uh, in dilly-dallying Everyone wants to talk about this Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yeah, if I, the, the Marvel series has finally come to an end. Uh, it's interesting climaxed. how... It, it's kind of, I don't know where we're supposed to stand with any of these so-called endings. It, it's interesting. In this series that just keeps on going. It's interesting to me because this is like the 31st, 32nd 30 movie. 32nd, yeah, yeah. And that's not even including like, you know, the feature-length specials on Disney+, Plus, or, or the, the TV, TV shows. shows. Yeah. It's just theatrical features. I, that's a lot. That's a lot of movies in a not inconsiderable amount of time. Um, but... I'm starting to feel as though, and I want to make it clear that ever since Endgame, there have been some really good Marvel movies. Mm. But I feel like the really good Marvel movies after Endgame just feel like more closing chapters. Like, I really liked Spider-Man No Way Home, but what I liked best about it Mm. was how it closed out two Spider-Man movie franchises in a satisfying way. Yeah. Uh, For example. It's... uh... The thing I like, I did like that Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, because uh, one of my least favorites was the one that preceded it. The Andrew Garfield uh, version. The, no, the um, 
the Tom Holland version. Oh, that, that the, one we're was, still in. Yeah, yeah okay. uh, Tom Holland, uh, it was in Spider-Man Far From Home was the title. And mm. um, it, it was such like a, a stultifyingly uneventful movie mm-hmm. where it's just Spider-Man doing spider things. They were doing no commentary and they were starting to say some really irresponsible things uh-huh. like uh, about teenagers like weapons should of mass have destruction. weapons. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and it really started to and highlight it, how the it, villains, the villains in, in that movies, movie are like the workers who want to like own their own inventions and yeah, things. And, and like, how, they're right. And, and the corporations <laughs> who are just sort of hoarding it for themselves run by dead people. Cause yeah. Tony Stark was dead at that point. And instead of like uh, all of that stuff going to the people who might've created it, he gave it all to a teenager who doesn't know how to use it responsibly. The whole movie's weird. It's yeah, it's really, off and I feel yeah. like this is a big issue with a lot of uh, villains mm. uh, throughout the Marvel universe. Yeah, some of them are just outright villains. Like in this new movie, sure. uh, he's, he's clearly a really bad guy. Yeah, he wants well, to do we'll evil talk about things. that in a minute. But yeah, uh, but a lot of them have like legitimate grievances. Yeah, that the heroes never address in a healthy way. They never address the actual root mm. of the problem. Uh, there's perhaps no more obvious example of this than Thanos, mm. because Thanos's whole deal is he sees that there is a resource problem, there is a population problem Mm -hmm. in the universe, and that leads to a lot of unnecessary suffering. There is enough food to go around. There is enough energy to go Mm -hmm. around. There is enough space. There is enough oxygen, for God's sake. Um, So what he does is he comes up with an extremely authoritarian, villainous way to solve a legitimate problem. he's He's a soldier, yeah, and, and he's very different from in in the comic books, where yeah. he's a little bit more of uh, he worshipped death. He was a nihilist, and yeah, and it was more of cult like. Yeah, um, fervor. Yeah, uh, in in the movies, he's just a military guy because yeah. that's what the Avengers are. They're yeah. all military guys, and he sees and, uh, his plan to mass murder people as pragmatic. Well, it's and his his big flaw is that he's uncreative. Yeah, he's like uh, I see all of these problems. My the only way I know how to deal with this is mass murder. Yeah. So uh, when you have a if, when you have a mass murdering army, every all, problem well, looks like a nail that you want to. Well, murder. yeah. If yeah. if if, uh, if if all you have is a mindset to kill, then every problem can be solved by killing. Yeah. Uh, and that's Thanos' deal. And he got yeah. he got some stones that essentially grant wishes. Mm-hmm. You have any wish you want. And mm-hmm. his wish just happens to be he wants to kill half of the universe. Mm-hmm. Which, again, yeah. you can do anything you want. You could have mm-hmm. solved the problem in a more creative way than yeah. kill and, a whole bunch of people. But, and yeah. the heroes, on two occasions, mm-hmm. get the magical wish stones and don't solve the problem. <laughs> no, they don't solve in the fact, problem. In fact, one of the wishes is just kill a bunch of guys. Well, one of the wishes is bring a whole bunch of people back, and the next one is kill a bunch of people. Yeah. And I, a lot of people have defended this in a million different ways, but I think what both of those speak to is a certain lack of imagination, but more than that, a, a stubborn unwillingness to actually interact with the root problem. And this is something that we see in... Uh, honestly, it's been a weird trend in a lot of blockbuster fiction uh, where we've seen films like, I don't know, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, or Hobbs and Shaw, where the bad guys are these like evil cabals that want to like destroy the world so that we can build it up again and have enough... like And do it the right way because... But, but they want the, power well, through, through well, the, these what, means. Well, yeah, but, like the, but the main motivation is climate change is going to destroy us all or some other like actual practical Mm -hmm. problem is going to lead to mass disasters and they want to try to work through that as best they can but in a villainous way and they always defeat those villains but then they never solve climate change and Mm -hmm. it's something that it's it's very very odd but in any case 
Um, we're, we're off the beaten path. My point was this. Um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has, with a few bright spots since Endgame, I would argue that Shang-Chi is mostly really good, mm-hmm. uh, but I would argue that No Way Home was really good and Wakanda Forever were really good, but both of those felt kind of like eulogies. Mm-hmm. One more, one very literally. Uh, yeah. Because they were kind of closing things out. They felt like that's what gave them their like dramatic heft. Yeah, well, is Shang- that they were Shang-Chi, ending something. Uh, Shang-Chi was, is unique in this. Yeah. And there have been like... 15 movies since Endgame has been a lot like we, that's, we've, that's that's that has not been that many but there's been um, well Endgame was like the 19th or 20th movie and we're up to like no it wasn't 32 no no hold on hold on hold on <laughs> hold on I'm well, gonna look up just been, a... there's been quite a few is my point no but it has then. not been that many it's there's been almost as much falling action as there's been rising uh hold, hold on I'm looking it up hang on God, we, we should have this actual information out okay here we go um since Endgame, we've had Far From Home, All right. Black Widow, All right. Shang-Chi, uh-huh. Eternals, No Way Home, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, Black Panda Wakanda Forever, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, and now this is the 10th film, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which I'll grant you is still a lot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's still the, a lot. There's been 10. That's, that's, that's a lot of movies. I mean, that's that's more than there are... Well, I guess, no, yeah. there's 13 Halloween movies but now, my, but there's still a lot. Yeah. And, and, uh, and so many of them have failed to make much of an impact, and I would actually argue that, like, three of the last four uh-huh. movies that we've had, or I guess five now... Uh, have been literally the worst in the series. Uh, Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness is pretty crap. Yeah. Thor: Love and Thunder is it's quite bad, o- yeah. is almost incompetent at parts of it. And Ant Man of the Wasp: Quantum Mania, which I finally got around to watching. I'm sorry, just generic <laughs> like, as shit. Yeah, yeah, just absolutely just breathtakingly uninteresting. If that's a, if that's even possible. Yeah, it's. I mean the the. the this series has long been sort of pushing out against its own limitations. Yeah. Superheroes can't do much because they live in a certain kind of world mm. where uh, there has to be superpowers, there has mm. to be fights. Uh, you can't really tell too many interesting stories with those requisites in place. I, I, I disagree like, with that, but I do think it requires you to well, really get they super re- creative. They need to yeah. start stretching a little bit. I was very fond of Eternals for that reason. I yeah. think uh, it had an interesting science fiction mm. story because it was telling a, a story on a much grander timeline yeah. than we'd seen in any of these movies before. It was about these androids that were billions of years old who mm. served God and killed it. Yeah. It's like Ray Bradbury shit. And then I think uh, you've had some interesting TV shows as well, which they tried to do like... What if Marvel, but we were really self-aware and we did it through like the media of sitcoms with yeah, it's like a, a law sitcom. That's an interesting yeah. idea. And then and then She Hulk was a legal show. What if it's what's hmm. th- there was a little bit of action, but mostly it's a lawyer sitcom. Yeah, yeah that, uh, that 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 spreads the universe out a bit, and it's not no, the same movie over and over again. Yeah. I, I've we'll, we'll get to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy in mm-hmm. a second, um, but. What I find interesting about the series, you ask the fans. There are many big, big fans of the series. Well, it's it's, as, and, it's uh, maybe the most mainstream thing in the universe. Yeah, most people would call themselves fans if yeah. they watch movies. I think is it just the, these, so these are the ones widely people, viewed. Yeah, these are the yeah. ones that the people go to. And yeah. uh, while there are a couple that are sort of generally agreed upon as the better ones sure. in the series, and some that are generally agreed upon as yeah. like the worst ones, uh, there doesn't seem to be like a really solid consensus mm. as to what the best ones are. People will. Just like, yeah, like about five or six that are yeah. among the best. 
Yeah, uh, and Winter Soldier, uh, one of the Guardians movies, maybe Black Panther. Yeah, uh, yeah. My, my favorites are I like Black Panther. Yeah, uh, I like Iron Man three. I think Sam, that's a good one. Sam, we, you, we're in the minority on that. That doesn't, but, that but doesn't that's, usually that, come up. That's yeah. the thing, and, yeah. and and I'm and I'm also very fond of Eternals because yeah. I like the the heady sci fi stuff. Superhero stuff, not so much in that movie. Yeah, it's sort of it's a weakest really tacked on in that film. Yeah, uh, and that that either spikes to, speaks to one of two things. Either it speaks to the variety of the series, mm. where every film is a little bit different. It's like a, a certain genre, but superhero version. Yeah. And a lot of people are f- connecting to a lot of different things that are coming out of this story. So they're all being drawn to different mm. films in the series. Hence, different films are mm. other are various people's favorites. Yeah. Or it speaks to the homogeneity of the series. Yeah. And they are kind of all interchangeable after a while. Yeah. Uh, a couple of exceptions, but I was I was actually looking at them all as a whole, and I was like, "You got like the five or six I really don't like. Mm-hmm. You got the seven or eight I really like. All right, a couple I have strong opinions on, but don't love or hate. And then about twelve or fifteen in the middle, <laughs> or whatever, which is just, just eh? it's just Pablo. Like how uh, do you how do you how do you rank if you're gonna do like a ranking? Uh, how do you rank? Ant-Man and the Wasp, just the second one, uh, like, yeah, higher there's, there's, or lower yeah. than, like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of just, like, of, <laughs> the trying, first Doctor Strange. The first yeah. Doctor Strange. These are just, there's, there's a moment of inspiration flex, in all yeah. of them, but they're just sort of like, yeah, they've got a kind mm. of a, just sort of doing Marvel yeah, uh, stuff. And... An yeah. issue I have with the yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy movies, uh, mm. which are generally pretty well liked, um, yeah. not just well liked, but people get very attached to these movies. Yeah, the, the, they have emotional these are, connection to these characters. These, yeah. these particular movies, uh, done by James Gunn, who came out of the Trauma School, so this is kind of an unusual turn for him. But these movies are a lot more sentimental yeah. than a lot of the other movies. This is about a found family. Yeah, uh, they're a superhero team, but they're all outcasts, and rather than sort of revel in their outcast. Uh, status they're sort of clinging to each other for warmth and a lot of people uh, mm. like that element of it that these people are sort of uh, people and raccoons and aliens are, are yeah. uh, finding warmth in each other no matter how strange they are they kind of accept each other yeah um my when that first guardians of the movie came of the galaxy movie came out though this is uh james gunn and it was presenting itself uh, as sort of the outsider movie in the series. Mm. And this was early on. This was like when they, the film was only like only 12 films deep. Yeah. Uh, this is the one about characters that were less famous than any other characters we've had yeah, before. Yeah. More bizarre creations in it. Mm-hmm. Had a weird retro jukebox soundtrack that was unlike anything they've been yeah, doing. It, it's like far. This, this is going to be yeah. re- really, really set stands apart from the rest of the Marvel movies yeah. so far. And my issue was that it didn't enough. Mm. Uh, it, it felt like corporate approved edginess. Wow. Uh, it, it felt really safe and and uh, not at all daring. Here, here's 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 my only my only throwback at you is this: it's a corporate movie. How daring I, did you actually think it was going to get? Well, I I don't I know I know how daring we want it to be. I, I, I sympathize. I, as, but as at an some level, member, I can tell you how daring I would like it to be. I understand that, but like I'm I'm not talking about how would you like it to be. But at some point, you have to engage with what it actually is. Uh, Which is well, and what four is, quadrant movie making exactly, and, yeah. and I'm engaging with it as a four quadrant movie. It's mm. slick and professional. Mm-hmm. It has jokes in it that are affable without really being funny. 
Um, it has a weird attitude towards violence because it seems to want to be like really kind of fun, wacky violence where four mm. people get murdered at once, but at the same time it wants to respect life. Yeah, uh, and that's, and that's, that's, that's the biggest throughout. issue yeah. with this third uh, yeah. volume three. Yeah, uh, which is about uh, largely about animal testing. Yeah, I, I, before we before we get into the, the right. I just want to I, I just want to set the. Oh. The stage, because I think I, I see your point, mm. and I think we've seen that the Guardians movies are, and if you're unfamiliar with trauma movies, they are wildly violent, uh, hypersexual, but in a very in a very immature way, yeah, in a very, like in a very ag- aggressively adolescent kind yeah, of disgusting like, movies, yeah, like they just just. You know, when you're when you're a teenager and you imagine what's an adult movie look like, mm. you probably think either like something Zack Snyder does or something Trauma does. Yeah, right. You think something that's either just like this really emo, self important kind of thing, which it, it, there's a place for that. Don't get me but, wrong. But like with a fantasy element, but with like so a fantasy like, element, it, it can't be too real. So like your superheroes grew up with you, so you don't actually have to like you know engage, engage with, the, with the real world. Mm. Which again, there's a place for that. But uh, or you have uh, like. Mature or adult, meaning wildly immature, but very, very gross. Mm. And that's what trauma is. And if you've ever seen the Toxic Avenger movies, if you've ever seen one that James Gunn wrote, Tromeo and Juliet, uh, you will see actually a fascinating attempt to balance extreme violence, extreme naughtiness... Uh, with a little bit of heart. There actually are ideas, commentary, mm. an actual attempt to make a film that will appease people who are just looking for sleaze or gore, mm-hmm. but also hopefully connect with them a little bit on, on like a level of like an artist to audience. And as James Gunn has been filtered through the studio system, he did. He wrote the screenplay for the two live-action Scooby-Doo movies. Aww. He wrote. Uh, he, he did a lot of punch-ups on films like Thirteen Ghosts. Um, he's been sort of whittled I... down. Mm-hmm. You can still see elements of the trauma stuff, and I think in the third Guardians, there's more of it than usual. But it's definitely the the safer version of it. What I think makes the Guardians of the Galaxy movies work, maybe more so than any of the other ongoing Marvel franchises, mm. mini mini yeah. series within the larger series. Yeah, like, yeah. like obviously there's the macro Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I you know I I'm noticing Thor seems to be losing steam after four movies. You know, yeah. and I I think one of the problems with some of these Marvel movies is that. The Marvel Universe, especially on Earth, mm. has gotten so weird that it no longer takes place in any sort of recognizable reality. Half yeah. the universe died and came back five years later to a completely traumatized and transformed world. Mm. Literally every person in these movies, even the background extras, are playing people who probably died for five years and instantly came back. Yeah. Like, the main characters have been superheroes for so long that being famous for being a superhero is their new status quo. Mm. It no longer feels like it has a meaningful connection to yeah. a human experience. Often there are exceptions, but often that's even the trap the, they fall into. It, it's the trap. And, uh, even, and some of these don't take place on earth. Like guard, the guardians I, this, take this place is, in space. This was my point. But, uh, even the ones that do take place on earth, uh-huh. the, the heroes don't visit, 
Earth. They leave yeah. Earth to a go lot on of the their time. adventures. A lot of the time. Like, like, they go to Quantumania. Yeah, they go to Quantumania. Yeah. It's like there, there's an opening in San Francisco, which is a back yeah. lot. Like, yeah. It doesn't even look like San Francisco. Like, maybe yeah. there's one exterior shot. Yeah. Uh, so we're introduced to the status quo, and like now he's he started off as a guy who was down on his luck. He got out of prison. Mm-hmm. I sympathize. He's he's a deadbeat dad, but he doesn't yeah, want to so be. There, there's no, I get there's it. So little humanity left in these yeah. movies. Now he's like all he's, space alien. He's written a hit book, and mm-hmm. he's going to movie premieres. And I'm like, you, you, you kind of lost the thread. What the Guardians movies have is distance. They're not taking place on Earth. Their status quo was always weird, and as a result, we accept a weird status quo. And the characters can feel more real within that. Also, and I think it really helps, James Gunn has done a pretty good job of giving all of his characters emotional, psychological through lines. Mm. And we've seen them grow, evolve, change, devolve. You know, Peter Quill got better, found a family. And then, uh, and, and then, and then he got worse. He's an alcoholic. Well, so, yeah. it, it's implied, but like he's basically he's he's definitely hit rock bottom. Yeah, he's got the guardians, but he's lost Gamora. Uh, Gamora was um, she was killed in Avengers: Infinity War, but in Avengers: Endgame, another yeah. version of her from the past and like an alternate reality kind of traveled into the present. So and... now she's here, but she's not the one he knew and fell in love with, and she has no feelings for him. And so he remembers this big emotional life-changing relationship in which she died and now she's back and it's not her mm-hmm. and that's weird for him. I appreciate that James Gunn even, that, that's a weird thing to deal with. That's a hugely weird plot point. And he's trying to find the most human way to deal with that. He's trying to find the most human way to deal with all of these characters and their very, very bizarre adventures. And this one, the main focus for a lot of it is Rocket, a raccoon voiced by Bradley Cooper. Mm. Uh, At the very beginning of the movie, uh, they are attacked by a not very comics accurate version of Adam Warlock, Uh, which is fine, but it is kind of weird. I, I'm Adam Warlock was my favorite character yeah. when I was reading comics. Yeah. Like I read a lot of Adam Warlock comics. I'm yeah. very intimately familiar with the character. I'm not the type to get outraged if they alter him for a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's very different. Uh, I think I think they uh, did the character justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Poulter plays the character, and I, I think like they Will got Poulter a lot. and they got his attitude right, even if the origin is all wrong and he doesn't do yeah. a lot in the story. I think yeah. uh, a little, he's, little highfalutin. A little highfalutin. I like that attitude. The issue I have with Adam Warlock is he's one more character in a movie that has way too many of them. I agree. And I think they're really only kind of including him here to to use him later in other things. But um, in any case, Adam Warlock attacks just all of a sudden. Yeah, he's looking to kidnap Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, but uh, he ends up, they end up fighting him. They they end up getting him out of there. But Rocket is mortally wounded. And even with all of their fancy schmancy like space technology, yeah, they have, they have like med packs that work like in video games, where like if your arm is broken, you wrap this thing around your arm and you press like the red cross button, and, and all of a sudden heals, your arm works. Yeah. They try to use that on Rocket, and what they discover is that because Rocket was a science experiment, he initially started his life as a raccoon, right. and Earth then, raccoon too. I, yeah, it, we see that like in the very first bit in the movie, but it's a little cage full of little cute raccoons, and it's actually really creepy. Actually, mm-hmm. this like giant human hand comes in from out of the darkness mm. to grab Rocket grab a, and we see a baby, it in his perspective. And he's a little baby raccoon. He's so cute. But 
Um, he was experimented on, turned into a biped, given uh, you know increased him, intelligence, yeah, big, ability big, to talk. Give him a bigger brain. They put like a you know, metal skeleton in his body. Yeah, so yeah he's kind of walking around. So the that what the thing is, his whole biology is proprietary. Mm. He's owned by a corporation. That corporation has been looking for him this entire time for reasons which we'll find out in the movie. And as a result, he's incompatible with corp- other corporation technologies. <laughs> and in order to save his life, because he's going to die, they have to just drop everything that they're doing, get in a spaceship, and basically do the superhero version of a GoFundMe and kick ass to get him his health care. Yeah. So they go to the, this corporation that invented him, created him. They're going to pull a heist. That's going to be full of a bunch of kooky adventures. They're going to steal his file. They're going to try to track down the guy who created them, a villain called the High Evolutionary. Uh, and, um, yeah, they're going to find out why the High Evolutionary is so obsessed with finding Rocket Raccoon. I think that actually builds really well, and it gives the... The villain is great in this movie. He's super scary, but he's scary because he's also just a weasel. Not literally, because yeah. they're animal people, but like he's 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 <laughs> well, powerful he's a, and he's intelligent, but he's also got a fragile little ego, yeah, and well, that's a, his undoing. But also, what makes him terrifying? He, he's not a, a in terms of like the concept and like his plot. He's not terribly creative, but uh, no, the he's actor, a bad scientist, basically. Yeah, I, but I, and I feel that way about um, Loki as well. I think he's yeah. not a terribly interesting villain, but they uh, at least. Um, they got the right. Ca- they got the right cast. A really charismatic actor. I think yeah. Tom Hiddleston is a really interesting actor, and I yeah. think he brought a lot of uh, sort of flair and attitude to an otherwise pretty flatly written role. Mm. And I feel the same way about Chuck Woody Iwuji, who's yeah. the name of the actor. He's really good. At this who, oh, I think he's worked with. I think he's on Peacemaker. I believe that's. Gunn I believe show. that's that's the case. Um, yes. Yeah, and he played, and he is like chewing scenery. He's just like chomping into this villain role that's not mm. terribly well written, but at least he's having a good time with it. Yeah. Uh, some charisma. That's really yeah, nice. Yeah, It's great to have yeah. a villain who isn't... Because that's something, now that I finally saw Quantum Mania, mm. Jonathan Majors is... A whole bunch of shit's happening with his career well, a right lot of, now. A lot of crimes he committed and, came well, to light. Well, so. Accusations, certainly. Well, and it's looking well, allegedly, like... He's like, know. he's been dropped by a lot of people. There's been some discussion about whether or not Marvel should recast him. I'm not going to get into all of that right now. But it felt like he was like a, a big presence like he had like gravitas mm. but was in search of a character yeah like he had his when they introduced him in Lo- uh, the character of Kang the Conqueror in Loki he was intimidating but he was also confusing like you get mm. the gist of what he's about but also the why of it is frankly not very relatable it's kind of heady to a, to a fault yeah. and then in Quantumania He's being like deceptive and just sort of generically conquering shit. And I mean, let's be honest here: if he can be defeated by Ant Man, like <laughs> I, I, oh, 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 but there's a whole bunch of him. Yeah, there's also a whole bunch of Ant Men. So basically, it's, it's all I'm really, all I really want, just, just go to go to the multiverse, each, get a yeah. whole bunch of Ant Men, and we're fine. Like yeah, I just, that... you kind of. You kind of didn't sell them very good with that introduction. Yeah, the, the, the multiverse is yeah. is like one of the most frustrating plot developments in this yeah. because it takes the stakes away from everything. Potentially, yeah. A, a character dies, you just dip into a parallel universe and pluck him out again. It's Potentially, like, it's a real uh, problem, which would happen with Gamora already. Yeah. And that's, again, it, it's a real risk to really double down on it. Like, yeah, one yeah. special thing, maybe, but to make that, like, your whole raison d'etre for mm. a while is 
well, run and, the risk of ruining everything. I and think. and when and and yeah. if Morbius can just sort of like yeah. step in and take parallel yeah. universe stuff for no reason, it's like <laughs> okay, you, it anymore? already it already took its power away. Um, anyway, uh, but, but uh, while, while they're yeah. uh, while they're saving Rocket Raccoon, uh, the second part of the movie is we see our Rocket Raccoon's origin story. We see yeah. flashbacks and how he was. A test animal, and there's a lot of really rough imagery, especially really sen- scary, sensitive to animals in in peril. And and uh, again, even though I think the Guardians movies are a little intense for Marvel movies, there's a lot more killing. Mm-hmm. There's scenes of like people, like it's a scene in this movie where someone's face gets ripped off, yeah. and it's treated as not the most terrifying thing ever. Which it, it would get an R rating, and I think in any other movie, mm-hmm. um, the scenes where we see Rocket and his animal friends and the torture that they endure mm. some sometimes explicitly well, it's, uh, it's, is the kind of thing that I think we think of these as four quadrant movies for kids. I, th- I think some kids might get little kids. Mm. I might get really messed up by yeah, some of this. Yeah, this, mean, gonna, this just, feels like one of those early memories it, where you share like, Oh God, remember when that happened to rocket? It's rated PG 13 and just listen this time. Um, mm-hmm. I think the curse has taken off some of those scenes. Uh, mm. Like the, the animals are pretty badly mutilated. They have had body parts removed and added. Uh, there's mm. a, there's a rabbit in this movie. That, oh. There's a speaker for a mouth, which is really uh, it disturbing. Looks, it and, looks like that rabbit's having a horrible existence. And, and yeah, it has yeah. like mechanical spider legs, and it's like actual yeah. rabbit legs. Don't touch the and ground. And it's so innocent uh, too when it well, talks. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, the torture is a little bit more palatable because those characters are always upbeat. They're always in a good mood and they're always talking about, you know, they want to escape, but they're laughing and smiling and talking about how they're great friends. That that made it worse for me because their innocence, (laughs) they're, they're in it. We know better. Uh Their innocence is not going to be met by, by an accepting world. That's going to tell them everything's going to be okay. And, it, the Guardians movies can get pretty dark, yeah, and if, this, if, this isn't this isn't a movie where all the animal people turn out okay. In fact, a lot of animal people turn out very badly in this yeah, movie, yeah. and it's a tragedy. And I know and the movie treats it as a tragedy, mm-hmm. and they, they should, but it's such a tragedy that it's so damn heavy <laughs> that I think some people might, you know, oh, okay. really be feel wounded by yeah, it. I was, you know? I, I was reminded of um, something I heard from one of the makers of uh, Futurama. Mm. Another sci-fi comedy, yeah. um, where uh, there's a, a character in Futurama. It's Bender, the the drunken robot, and uh, in one episode he adopts a bunch of children for tax money. He just wants yeah. the money. He doesn't care about the children. Yeah, I have uh, all these and, dependents. There and he go. and he yells at the children and says really mean things like, "Every other day with you, it's food." Uh, <laughs> and uh, he he just sort of like yells at them and says, "You're all named Bender Junior." And uh, you know he's kind of abusing these children. Yeah. And if they screamed and cried, that would be intolerable. You couldn't have that on it. Yeah, we'd be, we hate Bender. Yeah. He'd be a monster. But every time he says something, they just say, Yay, our dad is a big toy. Uh, mm-hmm. And because the kids are so happy about it, the, the writers were allowed to get away with all this horrendous abuse. And I mm-hmm. think the same is happening with these animals. I They're think, in such a good mood all the time. I think if what happened to those kids in that Futurama episode uh-huh. is what happened to the animals in this movie we'd be having a different conversation That's about true. that. Um, yeah. So I think, I think context matters. Yeah. Um, and 
Rocket Raccoon, uh, he's been surgically all... It's it's all Dr. Moreau stuff. He's yeah. using vivisection to, to, to make animal people. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he also has uh, Super Mario Brothers, the 1993 movie, Evolution Chambers, where yeah. he can, like, hyper-evolve animals in just a moment of it's, minutes. It's eugenics. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a, he's a wild eugenics. sci-fi eugenics villain, yeah. The timeline of his plan doesn't make a lot of sense. He's been building a planet, and you'd think that this is something he'd be working on for, like, literally millions of years. Mm-hmm. Uh but I guess he just built it. I'm not exactly sure, like how long it took him. To There's build this a lot animal. of the, a lot of the actual sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. in the Guardians movies. There's a lot of vagary. Like they want you, they want you to sort of imagine it seriously, at least from an emotional perspective. But from a practical perspective, it's it, it, this is a lot more in common with Flash Gordon than Star Trek. Yeah, that's in true. terms of how we're supposed to actually think all this stuff out. Yeah. So he, he's yeah. built a, an entire planet. He's he said he's very fond of Earth. Yeah, and he likes sort of the the architecture and the art yeah. and the iconography and, and the, and the, and the biological like diversity of Earth. As yeah, well, but but, but he about, yeah. he feel he feels that humans you know eugenics. He feels like humans are inferior. Yeah, so he's been uh, making animal people, mm-hmm. Doctor Moreau animal people, and putting it on this planet, and that's his experiment. Yeah, uh, and Rocket Raccoon's brain has something to do with his plan. It, it's important. To yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the the movie is it it comes to a conclusion. And then it keeps a then, real conclusion. And then it keeps going. Yeah. And then it keeps going more. And then it keeps going more. Yeah. And then there's another rescue. And then there's another action sequence. Yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, there, there's a moment when uh, we find out what happens to Rocket Raccoon, and that should have been the end of the movie. And then there's like a lot more after that, where there's a lot more plot developments and a lot more of <sighs> having to deal with the the supervillain. Uh, it's it's a case where they're just trying to cram in a little bit too much and it becomes really busy. And that was yeah. a pr- an issue I had with uh, volume two as well. I agree with that. There, there was a, uh, just a, so much going on and so much uh, mm-hmm. just wild stuff that it all started to flatten out after a while. This is, this and is... it was difficult for me to, to have like the emotional catharsis that mm-hmm. they wanted me to because I was exhausted. No, and that that's, that's something that I think is, I, I think it's something that James Gunn is good at, but I think it can also be his undoing. Mm. He, he doesn't rest on a single idea. He will pack everything he does with stuff, with incident, with character, often very interesting characters, often very interesting incidents, often very interesting ideas and action sequences, but it's just constantly throwing things at you. And I think at his best, he does a really good job of keeping that relatively balanced. Mm. And all of the many, many characters that he introduced, even though some ultimately get more screen time than others, they all make an impact and they feel distinct. And that's really good. I think that's really good writing, especially in an ensemble movie. But after a while, it gets a little exhausting and you realize that maybe this would be stronger if we had a few less things Mm -hmm. and more time with the things that we have. And this is how I feel about Warlock. I really like Will Poulter. Mm -hmm. Does the movie need Adam Warlock? No. No, You could cut him out and you wouldn't miss him in the movie. Like You you have to rewrite a couple of things, but it really wouldn't be a big deal. Like There's a lot of stuff in here that is... Yeah, you know, it's there to set the stage for future stuff if they want to do it, but um, it's it's just dense. Yeah, and, and I and, think and there's it, sometimes to a fault. To a fault, and I feel like uh, James Gunn isn't thinking out some of this stuff. He's yeah. so eager to put a lot of stuff in it that it, he's not thinking mm. about sort of the consequences of some of the stuff he's including. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what this film ethic film's ethic is supposed to be. It's clearly anti animal testing. It is, and it has a lot of dialogue to the effect of. Uh, 
this is an evil practice. It needs mm-hmm. to stop. We're going to save animals. Yeah. And we're going to save children. There's some children that uh, yeah. High Evolutionary has been testing on. Yeah. Uh, and it's about uh, a lot of these characters sort of learning to feel compassion for yeah. these animals. And at the same time, a lot of... There's a lot of killing. There's these the the, the killing. main characters are murderers. Yeah. And you can either and I'm not decrying murder in movies. I think murder can be fun in movies. Yeah. There's that. I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm not mad at John Wick. Yeah. You know, because they, yeah. they create a universe. The a John hot... Wick universe creates a, a universe where the people who die in a John Wick mm-hmm. movie are either tragic victims who are so important that they will motivate the story, mm. but. The vast majority of them they're just, are yeah. evil. They're yeah, bad they're, guys. Well, and, and even John yeah. Wick is technically a bad. He's just yeah, another one like of the if assassins. If John Wick got this killed, is, you'd also be like, "Well, you live the life." It's, you know, it's, like, it's a fantasy assassin yeah. universe. Everybody yeah. dies in that. Exactly. I'm, fi- I'm so, fine with that kind of violence, the, but uh, the the idea that uh, these are characters who have spent uh, several movies. I think this is maybe mm-hmm. like their sixth uh, film. This is their third film where they headlined, but they were also in in. Infinity War. Some of them were in Endgame. And, and, they uh, had a feature length special on Disney Plus. And they were in, they were in the, about the first third of Thor: Love Thor. and Thunder. Yeah, so they're, they're, we've yeah. seen these characters Quite a, a bit. lot, yeah. and uh, we, as we've seen them more and more, uh, clearly James Gunn wants to humanize them more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though there's only two Earth figures, yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, and so by the time we sort of meet them, it's like they found a home and they found a family, and they mm-hmm. f- still feel kind of like outcasts, but they have each other now. Um, he he spent so much time making them humane that it feels out of place now when they just sort of charge down a hallway and murder a bunch of people. I, and this this is something that really bugs me too because mm. I feel like because I think this movie is trying to have its heart in the right place and there's a lot of really good stuff. I love there's a really great bit with Drax the Destroyer where like one character who like doesn't really understand. What are you even good for? Uh-huh. Like, why are you here? Why do we have a Drax? And by the end of the movie, they actually remind you where Drax comes from. Mm. And it's actually very sweet. And I think it really, really works nice. There's a whole great bit with Cosmo, the psychic Russian space dog. Mm. Uh, who, Which they should have just called it Laika. It should have been Laika. I know. I, I think that, arguably that's disrespectful. Arguably that's disrespectful to the history of it. Well, I like, can see the argument. That's all. I'm Laika was a Soviet space I'm dog. They, they launched Laika into space. Laika died. Uh, yeah, uh, but um, I'm just was, saying. Was, I, I get it. Yeah, it, it's it, they made a choice. That's also in, that was a choice they made in the comics. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, oh, is, is Cosmo in the comics? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, and, and I think the, uh, Cosmo is played by uh, is it Maria Bakalova? Maria, Marina Bakalova uh, from who, uh, the second Borat movie. He's so great. She, I love she's her and everything. Freaking hilarious. Uh, but um, anyway. I care about all these characters, and I really love that so much of this movie is about heroes who aren't just here to kick ass. They're actually trying to save people. They're trying to save Rocket Raccoon. Mm. They're trying to save other uh, beings that the High Evolutionary has been torturing. Um, At first, they try to save the sentient beings, and then they realize, oh, wait, everything that he's been torturing deserves a chance at life, and they give that a try, too. All these things are really noble. And then there's this one hero moment. You know, like when like like that moment in Avengers where like all of the Avengers are together for the very first time and they're being attacked by the Chitari, and there's this big hero shot where the camera revolves around them oh, because yeah, oh good, yeah. the team is together. Mm-hmm. And now, because this is an action movie and this is part of the DNA of it, we get to see him kick butt. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a primal thing, and I get that, and I'm not decrying that. But when 
you choose as an artist, this isn't a documentary. It's not like they had to do it. Like they made a choice. When you choose to have that kick butt moment be your heroes, your sympathetic heroes who've learned valuable lessons and grown as people and are no longer the kind of people who just kill people all willy nilly, uh, to slaughter the high evolutionaries animal hybrids just because they were attacking them, which again, you know, you could have yeah. chosen anyone to do that. Um, when you've also spent this entire movie making us feel really bad for all the animal hybrids, mm. that's a seriously mixed message. Yeah, and, that doesn't and... work. I, 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 people in my theater were cheering like, mm. yeah! And I'm like, I, mean, uh, I feel bad now. It's, uh, it, it started to give me flashbacks, quite frankly, to movies like Kick-Ass, mm. which is a, a repugnant movie. Uh, a lot sa- of ways, same yeah. with uh, K- Kingsman's, same filmmaker. Um, yeah. There's a sequence in the second Kingsman movie in a church. That's the first one. Oh, that was the first one. I never saw the second one, so it must be in the first one. Uh, I guess it was the first one. But it's basically where uh, uh, Colin Firth kills everyone in a church set to the tune of Freebird. Yeah, and and it's... It's played like it's badass. And it's like, this is a tragedy. This isn't cool. Like, he he gets like... uh, hypnotized essentially yeah. to, to murder all these people and I think they tried to take the curse off it by making the people he's killing like really awful like, just yeah, like, like awful really people bigoted yeah. people but like at the and, same time I but, don't revel in their deaths yeah yeah um, so I, I'm, I'm offended getting, by what you but what you think that says about me that yeah, I would that, enjoy that so I'm I'm, you know? I'm sensing yeah this sort of like almost a, a letting go of all of the emotional connections in that one sequence yeah. and just trying to go for the grossest possible thing. Yeah. And not not a fun trauma kind of a way no. either, which if, if this movie were kind of gross all the way through yeah. and it ended with something really disgusting, then I'd be okay with that. Could have been. Could have worked. Uh, but they didn't do that. But no, it's, it's yeah. alternating too quickly and I can't accept one and the other at the same time. And this is the th- and this is the thing that's kind of frustrating mm. about the movie. It's such a sloppy kiss of a film. Mm. There's so many things I love about this movie. There's a lot of great oh, imagery yeah, that absolutely. I love about this movie. I really love the main cast. I think they all get wonderful things to do. There's a, a sense yeah. of like pace and visual clarity in this mm-hmm. one that weren't in the previous two. Oh yeah, uh, maybe the first one. I think two got really sloppy, but like uh, I, I, the the last like maybe. 30, 45 minutes notwithstanding, I think mm-hmm. it was like pretty good about yeah. parsing out its story and keeping everything really clear. I, I, I appreciated like they had a lot of attention to let's vary up all the set pieces mm. and make sure the incidental humor is genuinely pretty funny. Like and the settings all look different. Yeah, yeah, it's got a good look to it. It's very colorful. Like I, I love so much of it, but because there's just so much of it, James Gunn can't keep all of it working in the same order. He's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's like that guy in Metropolis just trying to keep that those clock arms constantly moving. And after a feature length film, you've just kind of run out of the energy and you can't really do it as good anymore. <laughs> and I just feel like this movie, he just, he just loses track of some of it. I think it ends well. There's a lot I really like about it. I think the ending is very, very sweet for the most part. Um, I liked, I even liked the post credit sequence of this one because it's, you know, just kind of following up on a character mm. in a way that was kind of funny and nice, it's, and it, it's it, um, yeah, it's not setting anything up. No, 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 it's, it's, it's just following up on character stuff, and I and I really liked it. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess, but I still think it's a good mess, and I think even though there are things that I don't like about it, I can keep this in my. It, it, they don't torpedo the movie for me. They just keep me from saying. I have no reservations. I have no criticisms. I do have criticisms, but I think 
no one can say the movie wasn't trying. What I am looking forward to, however, is if James James Gunn is currently writing the next Superman movie, he might okay. direct it. Who knows? Yeah, um, he, he's yeah moved over to Warner Brothers, and, yeah. and he's not just making a Superman movie. He's like he and his uh, creative mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I forget Peter Safran is yeah. his name. Uh, they're they've been tasked with sort of rebooting everything mm. film related to DC comics. Yeah, basically they're the All Kevin the, Feige's over there. They're yeah, the ones like the, the butt stops here. It's we're the ones yeah, keeping track of everything. They've canceled everything yeah. uh, with the Snyderverse and anything connected to that series of movies. Well, and other there might be some over. vestiges. It's hard to say. I think the Flash mm. is going to like do some things to the reality, whatever. We'll find out. Mm. Anyway, but that's that's not my point. My point is this. Um, He's writing, actively writing. He's not writing every single movie. He's writing the new Superman movie. That's like considered like mm. a really important thing to get right because they haven't gotten that right in a really long time. I'm hoping he can keep that a little more focused than this. Yeah. I don't want... I, I don't think it would be a good idea for Superman to be this sprawling. That's about one character or like... Superman and Lois Lane and Lex yeah. Luthor or whoever the villain is, you know, a much smaller group of characters. And I think it would benefit from being a lot more focused. And I think a lot of movies benefit from being a lot more focused on this. I think he, I think his Suicide Squad movie, there's a lot to recommend it, but it just got so much. And I just stopped caring about halfway in just because there was so much of it. Yeah. And the violence just got so numbing after a while. Again, I don't mind violence in movies. I just want to, give a shit and I, I want, just I, I want, after I want a while. good violence in movies yeah. um yeah uh I, i'm with you there's there's a lot i really admire admire in the movie i like sort of the way it was handled i like a lot of the visual variety but um it's it, it's a difficult film to recommend just because it is such a mess but yeah. you look at a lot of the more recent uh, or just mm. if you look back over a lot of the the marvel movies yeah uh I think a lot of people were really thrilled for a while and they were willing to give a lot of these movies the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. that some of these plot points don't really work, but we're going to wait and bide our time because we understand that these, these are chapters building to a climax Mm -hmm. and a lot of these uh, disparate plot elements will be tied up in future movies. So it's okay that they don't resolve here. Um, And I think if we were to look back at some of those movies, uh, with our fatigue intact, yeah. uh, we might find that they're not maybe as solid as we thought they were. Maybe yeah. these films are just starting to fall apart because without that sense of urgency <laughs> and build, yeah. uh, which they can't recreate, they've no. already done it. Yeah. Uh, you can try to do it again, to, but it's never going to be exactly yeah, we're, the we're, same. We're a, little, yeah. we're a little bit numb to it and we're a little bit savvy to what they've been doing in terms yeah. of like building an outsized universe. I think it's just a lot less to care about every, in the macro level. Every time it seems like they're building to something bigger, mm. um, that's when I start losing my interest because what they're doing rather poorly, I think, is telling stories that are meaningful to the characters that just happen to be building to something bigger. Mm. And whenever they're just telling stories about characters going through an experience, this is why I think Shang-Chi worked. This is why I think, uh, you know... Uh, no Way Home worked because even though it was really sprawling, it was very focused on Spider-Man as a character. Black Panther was very much focused on a, a, a same theme. It was an ensemble piece, but it stayed grounded. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's still too messy for its own good, but it's it's mostly works. It, you know? I, I like this. There were two fantasy kingdoms, yeah. uh, and I, and those were fantasy kingdoms I hadn't seen before. Yeah. So like I a lot really, of creativity and like yeah. un, undersea Mesoamerican magic land. Yeah. Like that's... that's uh, I thought First it was cool. Me, yeah. There's so much I like in Wakanda Forever. There's, I think there's still so much of it that not everything works in mm. it, but 
it mostly works. But these are all the stories that feel like super emotional that you can really connect to. And a lot of the ones that aren't, even something that tried like Thor Love and Thunder, it's like this is a story about loss of faith and cancer. Mm. And you took the wind out of that drama at every conceivable turn. Mm. And it none of it landed. None of the actual yeah. serious drama in that movie felt like it was supported by the actual movie making. Uh, I felt Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness could have worked, but I feel like it was ultimately kind of redundant after WandaVision and it just turned a superhero mm. who had villainous tendencies but complexity into just mass murdering mm. juggernaut basically and it just it didn't really have a lot of juice behind it um and again quantum mania eh. <laughs> but like and but the thing is those movies were like in a row if it wasn't for wakanda forever it would have been like just three of the worst marvel movies in a row guardians works guardians is really really good but i wonder is it because it's use it's using characters we already have this connection to and wrapping up their story are we still going to be able to... Is this is this going to be like the start of new momentum and up- upcoming movies are going to be this good? Or is this just another you know, sort of thread being tied up yeah. after Endgame that now like... And now we've wrapped up the Guardians and now we've wrapped up um, Spider-Man and now we've wrapped up Wakanda and all these things. And I'm like... I'm not really looking forward to much. The only thing I'm looking forward to really is um, the trailer for the Marvels actually looks kind of fun. Uh, like it's actually like I, I haven't seen a movie with that like central plot point before. And that could be something that could be really entertaining. I don't know what it's about beyond that, but neat. Okay. I'll, I'll give it a shot. It looks potentially hopeful, but like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to keep going with this many movies and yeah, it's hard to uh, keep this level of enthusiasm up. It's hard to get the level yeah, of quality up. It's amazing that they, uh, frankly, it's a miracle they've done so well in the in general. Yeah. A, a, a lot of them have just sort of, how generic and samey they are is just standing mm. apart. And that's a weird thing to say in wake mm. of something so wild and colorful as yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy. But um, yeah. yeah, there's some details that are fun to get excited about, but otherwise it it is kind of a disposable entertainment. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. All right, well, wait, we should move on. Uh, what do you want? Do you want to talk about the action movie I saw, or do you want to talk about the tell, horror movies you both saw? Tell me about the action movie. Okay, so uh, there is a new action movie. It's a video on demand film. Uh, it is a low budget and it's it just the definition of a B movie. All right, the, the, the kind of a movie that is clearly uh, uh, made on the cheap. Genre entertainment hits a lot of tropes. But I think it works. I think it works. It's called One Ranger. I want to make sure I get the director's name right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is called One Ranger. It is written and directed by Jesse V. Johnson, who's done a lot of straight-to-video action movies. Uh, it stars Thomas Jane mm-hmm. as 
a Texas Ranger. He As, has in, in the Thomas Jane role. He basically, yeah, he's he's a badass. He's got a mustache. He's got sunglasses, and he wears a cowboy hat even when he's in Europe. And everyone's like, "You're wearing a cowboy hat," and he's like, "I'm a cliche." Uh, but, uh, he's, he's a total badass. There's this, it opens like really kind of cool. He's, uh, riding a horse in the middle of the desert and the photography is widescreen and the, the credits are popping up, like, and really using the space. And it looks like this is actually well-directed. He finds a guy who's like asleep next to a campfire and says, Hey, uh, you, you jumped your parole. Mm. Uh, you stole like a guy's horse. And like this, like you know, rifle and stuff. So I gotta, I gotta take you in. And the guy's like, ah, crap. And so he's just very like, yeah, that, that that's the end of that. Uh, and then immediately he's he's like gets a call that uh, a bunch of guys have uh, committed some sort of violent crime and are on the run in like an off road vehicle. Uh, and a couple of cops are chasing after them. The bad guys get out of their car. They shoot the cops. And now it's up to Thomas Jane. But Thomas Jane is still like walking in the middle of the desert. And he just sees them in the distance. And he picks up the guy's rifle. And from like a mile and a half away, shoots out their tire. <laughs> Although he shoots their engine block, which is even more oh, impressive. Right. But like, yeah, so he just, and so he ends up like just fucking them all up. And he's just this total badass guy. Uh, it turns out that the guy who had the one guy who gets away is an internationally wanted terrorist mm. uh it ends up uh, uh thomas jane's character ends up getting recruited basically by mi6 <laughs> to say hey wait what what when is this set <laughs> this is set now all right <laughs> it's basically the british secret service is like hey listen this guy's a terrorist he's been on our watches for forever uh and their their excuse for getting thomas jane involved is um the Mexican government doesn't want to deal with us, but you have a relationship with them because you're you're on the border and they've worked with you before. We would like you to do the prison transfer. And then that's when the terrorist escapes. Thomas Jane's partner gets killed. And mm. now he joins them. He goes back to England in his full cowboy regalia with this unbelievably unbelievable drawl, you know, that makes like... Like uh, uh, Rooster Cogburn looks subtle, yeah. Um, and it's just him and a British Secret Service agent uh, trying to stop bad guys in England. He's not supposed to have a gun, and every time he picks one up, it becomes like an incident. Uh, he ends up having to like get in a whole bunch of fist fights with this one guy who is fighting him so many times. After a while, they f- almost friendly about it. <laughs> it's just like oh, come on, it's like the third time we fought. Yeah, but this time I'll get you. I poked out your eye. Yeah, and I'm still really mad about it. Like it's so uncomplicated, and frankly, the whole premise is so contrived that it's almost self-aware. Like okay. it's almost like it's dancing around self-parody. Uh huh. But it isn't. It's just doing it. It's just doing the action movie. Here's this like ultra American Chuck Norris type who goes to England. He's fish out of water, has to save the day from bad guys. Mm. The bad guys 
are actually interestingly written and have motivations and feelings about things and, and principles, even though their principles are leading them to do terrible stuff. Thomas Jane is a badass, but he's also kind of laconic and funny. Uh, there's... They don't try to force a romantic subplot where none should be. It's just this macho, classily directed, not a lot of hyper-editing. They actually put in the work so it looks like, you know, mm-hmm. the fights look good, the shootouts look good. If, like, Charles Bronson had made this movie in the 70s, we would look on this favorably. This would be, like, the mechanic or okay. something. And it's... But it came out now, and it's gone straight to video, and probably no one's going to watch it. Or if they do watch it, they're not going to like give it any critical yeah, assessment. And that's a shame, because it's, it's good. Yeah. It's this pretty is, good. This is an issue I have with uh, a certain kind of genre filmmaking. I see this in action pictures more often than not. Mm. Um, like horror movies, uh, slasher movies, Like mm. sometimes the banality is the charm. Uh, you yeah. want really predictable stories. You want uninteresting characters because you just want a, a kind of baseline exploitation entertainment. You yeah, want to see a, violence. There's a certain uh, gener- general catharsis just coming from hmm. the premise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I feel like horror movies are a little bit more frank about their lizard brain appeal. Yeah. It's like we're, we're going to show nude people and yeah. we're going to show blood. <laughs> and and what, what's the reason for it? We know there isn't one. We're just going to have a killer who kills because that's what killers do. Yeah, we'll come uh, up with an excuse. So it's yeah. just like, oh, uh, he doesn't like mm. you if you're rude like, at restaurants. Yeah, oh, you're no. a camp, camp counselor and he kills yeah. you. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, thinnest possible premise. And in, in being thin, I think that's where a lot of the appeal applies. Yeah, you, you uh, definitely for, can be more intelligent than that. But even yeah. like the, the, the flimsiest excuse... Mm of a horror movie can be very satisfying. Yeah. Um, when it comes to action pictures, a f- nice flimsy excuse is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just a weird idea you run with. Yeah. If you're willing to do something really exciting with the action part of it. Yeah, you can't, if you can't have to, that. If you're going to... Uh, you have 30 cars and you're going to flip them all over and blow them all up. And awesome. Fair, it's okay, good, good. Yeah. Um, somebody has a laser fist and they're going to blow up a car. <laughs> you know, some something exciting and film it well so you yeah. can see it all don't edit it to shit don't mm-hmm. have it you know set only at night mm-hmm. set in big broad daylight really film but these things because they're actually happening you're showing That's us the fun action part. we yeah. want to see it we want to see the action yeah. and a big part uh, appeal of action at least the kinds of action films that i'm drawn to yeah is the truth of that um you see somebody get blown up and they're set on fire and they jump off a cliff like in stunt rock yeah somebody had to do that yeah uh, a big part of those uh like there's an ecstatic truth to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did somebody, did a car flip over in an action sequence? Uh, yes. Did I care about the characters? Maybe so, maybe not. But the fact that somebody actually bothered to flip over that car and you filmed it well mm-hmm. is going to excite me on some level. And there's, there is a way to film that. And I've mm-hmm. seen that in something like, I don't know, the Hitman's bodyguard's mm-hmm. wife or whatever, where you'll do a whole sequence and we know it was real and people actually flip cars and stuntmen could have mm-hmm. died. But because, you were hyper editing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it makes no impact, and it, you might as well not have bothered. Yeah, yeah. You're not you know? highlighting the action. It's just movement. Yeah, again, it just and it's like at that point, yeah, so, you could have done anything. And really. Yeah. So, noise. Uh, 
and I feel like that's the majority of action films I see, where they, they just sort of do the action without yeah. trying to make it look exciting or dynamic. And yeah. so all you're left with is a thin premise that clearly the actors are taking seriously, mm-hmm. but you can't because it's thin. I, I think there's more alchemy than that. I really do. Because I feel like there are definitely action movies I've seen where the action wasn't great, but the premise or the characters were, and I let it slide. Mm. And definitely movies where the action was incredible, uh, but everything else was kind of lousy, and I'm willing to let it slide so much. It's interesting to me how eager we are to forgive certain genres Mm -hmm. for just being the baseline of that genre, and how uneager we are to, to do the same for others. Yeah, And I think action movies, for some reason, get the the brunt of that. And I think yeah. there's a lot of like it, a horror movie of equal quality to this action movie. That's largely forgotten mm-hmm. might be rediscovered and get a shout factory re-release, yeah. but there's no one is like desperately eager to like, Oh my God. And they put out a 4k of like mm-hmm. that Chris rock, Anthony Hopkins action movie, bad company. <laughs> like no, no one's really asking for that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would sell some copies, but like you're not going to get that hype. Yeah, As if, like, yeah. oh my god, Shout Factory is releasing Darkness Falls in 4K. <laughs> there are people who are going to be super stoked about yeah, I that. I think, uh, I think uh, horror has um, something everybody can agree on. Fear. Yeah. Uh, people get thrilled by different things, so action yeah. pictures don't have the same kind of universality to them. It, and, that, and that makes them tricky, and mm-hmm. I think that means that there's a lot of different ways to do it right, and a lot of different ways to do it badly. Mm. I think there are definitely action movies which hit those lizard brain elements and some that don't. And I mm-hmm. think there's definitely action movies that are very well directed that just don't manage to thrill. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, for one, am very happy when I see an action movie on a budget, mm-hmm. but they're not trying to pretend to be something they're not. They're working within those means. They're being made by filmmakers who are confident enough to know where to put a camera and not try to just find it in the editing room. Yeah. Uh, You're not trying to hide behind actors who didn't show up or, you know, like too many stunt people. And not that stunt people are a problem, but like, you know, when like. I've seen plenty of like. Straight to video Steven Seagal movies where I'm pretty sure. Stunt doubles for the main character. I'm pretty sure Steven Seagal is only actually on screen, maybe. 50% 50% of the time his character is. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's, and it just, it pulls you out because you yeah, you're was, really, um, even if you're only subconsciously aware of it, you are aware of it. When I saw uh, M. Night Shyamalan's film Glass, yeah. Um, it, it makes sense now that I know what I know about Bruce Willis. Yeah, exactly, uh, yeah. he, uh, Bruce Willis was diagnosed with aphasia and he was having mm-hmm. a lot of trouble uh, remembering things and recognizing faces mm-hmm. and, uh, and communicating. And, and, that's, and, and, that's, and, and that's tragic. And, that's, and, yeah, yeah. And, and it's really difficult, but uh, in order to sort of set himself up as best as he could. He kept on working. Yeah. And that was an issue because he, he couldn't really act through his, yeah. his affliction. Certainly not the way he used to. Anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. and it made the filmmaking in something like Glass really awkward because there's so yeah. many shots where it's cl- he's clearly not there. Yeah. And before you, it, before you heard about his diagnosis, it seems like the filmmakers were messing up. Yeah. In some way, when really they were just sort of shooting around what they could. They were doing the absolute best yeah. they could. And I get it, and that sucks, but like it's still, mm-hmm. it's it, it doesn't necessarily make the movie great, but I am sympathetic. But you can when, you can see when they're you know, doing those tricks, when they're shooting around limitations. Yeah. And and here's one where they they knew what they had, they filmed it well. There's a certain like almost comic book 
lack of complexity to it where it doesn't feel oversimplified it just feels direct yeah and i can appreciate that there's an archness to it there's some very weird bits to it not like weird like oh let me tell you about the salamander scene or something but just like you're watching it i'm like john malkovich has a small role in this movie where (laughs) he plays the uh basically he plays like the head of mi6 I don't know what voice he's doing. He does. He's not doing a British accent, but he's also not being John Malkovich. Huh. Like he's definitely like doing something with his performance, and I cannot figure out what it is. I I don't know. It's kind of interesting to watch, but it doesn't feel like it's motivated by anything. It just feels like he was bored and wanted to do a different voice. I don't know. Mm. Um. Maybe there's more to it than that. I have no idea. But um, it, it's distracting when he's when he's on camera. But in any case, if you like uncomplicated action movies, if you like to just see, here's a badass thrown in a difficult situation. He badasses his way out of it in a way that makes you like him. He seems genuinely pretty heroic um, in a very like rah-rah American way, but in a way that's mostly inoffensive. Just like we, we like our Western heroes. Mm-hmm. What if there was one now? Um, it was pretty good. Okay, it was pretty good. I, I, I would, I would tell people who are interested in like, I, I, there aren't a lot of good action movies lately. I'd say, this is not going to knock your socks off, but I think it will scratch the itch. Yeah. So one ranger, not bad. All right, not bad. Uh, and then we have two horror movies, as we said earlier. I, I think we'll review them as a unit because they do come together. To. We'll, we'll, we'll mostly talk about one than the other. We both watched them, I think, in the intended order. Although mm-hmm. they said it would work either way. Um. Okay, this is called The Third Saturday in October, which sounds, you know, unless you know that reference, Mm -hmm. that sounds like a joke. Which, uh, well, The Third Saturday in October, yeah, is is actually Mm -hmm. in reference to a real event. Um, There's, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, my wife, she's not from, uh, she's from Louisiana, but she's from the South, so she knows... uh, Mm -hmm. She knows of the third Saturday in October, and there's yeah. a, a football rivalry mm-hmm. between uh, Alabama, Un- University of Alabama, and the University, and the University of Tennessee. Of Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they, the third Saturday in October, they have a big game, and it's a big deal for, they, for a lot of local football. They've fans. been doing this since 1901, and it doesn't mm. always take place on the third Saturday in October, but it has so often mm. that it's just called that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And that's sort of the gag. It's like, here, we're going to make a horror... Because there are a lot of holiday-based horror movies, starting, uh, mm. I think, Black Christmas, Halloween, Friday mm. the 13th, kind of yeah. tapped into that. Uh, April they, Fool's Day. Yeah, they've tried yeah. to do a couple others, like April Fool's Day. Um, yeah. There is a horror movie called Mother's Day. Uh, there's, yeah, two. There's uh, two. New, new Year's Evil. You know, and yeah. any Name the holiday they got they haven't, they haven't done Father's Day, really. I think the is stepfather there... kind of shoot, kind of like... Mm. Kind of like uh, in on that. Creep show. There's a, there's a segment in Creep show yeah. called Father's Day, but there isn't uh, like a Father's Day franchise that I'm aware not. of, and, which and feels like an oversight. There's only one uh, Easter horror movie I can think of, and that's Critters. Uh, that's, that's Critters Two. Oh, that's right. First Critters they're... is not an Easter. Critters Two is Critters Two is an Easter horror movie. There have been a few Easter centric horror movies, mostly in the straight to video realm. Yeah. Since, but there's no like prominent Easter horror yeah, and... movie the way there is a Black Christmas or a mm-hmm. Halloween. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's a bit of the gag with the third Saturday in October. Yeah. It's it sounds a little bit ominous, and yeah. it's also around like an event, but it's a local event. Yeah, very regional. And, um, yeah. We watched them uh, third Saturday in October, part five, as mm. the first film, followed by uh, the film which I think they made second, mm. called the first Saturday, Saturday in October, which was the first film. Yeah. The fifth film uh, begins with a Chiron explaining that the third Saturday in October came out in nineteen seventy nine. Mm-hmm. 
fake horror movie. Yeah, it was a re- and it was uh, and it was an unabashedly unapologetic Halloween knockoff. Yeah, but it was successful enough that there were some sequels. Mm-hmm. We're watching one of those sequels. Yeah, we're we're watching number five, which yeah. uh, by the the setup was to have looked like it came out in 1994. Mm-hmm. It looks like it came out in 1994. If you're getting like really bottom tier full moon entertainment straight to video oh, n- crap, not even full moon. We're talking oh. about a trauma acquisition. Yeah. Right. Like, so somebody made independent. Cause, Cause trauma made their own movies and the people who made trauma, they know how to make a movie. They had lower budgets and weird aesthetics, mm. but they know how to do it. But trauma's bread and butter was they would acquire Low-budget, often homegrown movies, mm, independent yeah. sleaze-fests, gore-fests, genre entertainments, uh, and they would release those on the cheap yeah. to uh, a, a market that was very eager for yeah, it. A Lloyd Kaufman, one yeah. of the founders of Troma, um, has has had to say multiple times, I don't fund your movie. Don't come to Troma with a pitch. Come to yeah. a Troma with a movie you've already completed, yeah. and I'll distribute it. This is how and Troma then, ended uh, up releasing Trey Parker and Matt Stone's first film, uh, Cannibal, Cannibal Musical. Cannibal Musical. Um, yeah. Amusing film, Cannibal Musical. That's quite good. I quite like yeah. it. But uh, yeah, and they, uh, they but, release stuff like the horror of the humongous Hungan. Hmm. Y- you heard that right. Hungan. I don't know what it is either. I've actually never seen uh, it they, they They found a... Uh, it sounds really stupid, but there's a German horror film called Killer Condom. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, which yeah, actually is... Horror like, effects by H.R. Giger. H.R. Uh, Giger de- designed the condom, yeah. uh, and it's... It actually has more to say than you might think. About, I've heard that like, one's pretty good. About, like... I've heard that one's pretty good. Like, queer rights and, and, yeah. and the AIDS crisis. Uh, so, yeah, they, they do... You know, so, silly, they're not, silly, they're silly not all bad. Like they're not all bad. They're not all bad movies, but uh, most of them mm. are very, very cheap. Clearly done with by with people who aren't professionals. There probably aren't any actors you recognize. The cinematography might be competent mm. but unremarkable. Yeah. The sets are clearly someone's house that they knew, um, and that's the vibe you get from Third Saturday in October Part Five. Mm. Um, it's a little ambitious for that. There's a lot well, of locations, yeah, and a lot of characters, the, uh, but it comes across really cheap. The issue is. Uh, the sense I got from watching mm. part five yeah. uh, was that they tr- they made just sort of a generic slasher movie. Yeah. It's a guy in a skull mask. and uh, he's A cheap looking skull mask. A cheap looking skull mask. And he's stalking around a house in a way that it's not like a giant house where he could like, there's like a lot of mm. crannies to hide it's in. It's like a two story, it's, but it's not It's that not big. so big a yeah. house that you could hide some of the, the violent acts and the murders that go on in it with the other yeah. characters remaining oblivious. But most of the movie is the characters are having a party and they're all watching a football game and they're so distracted by the football and they're constantly, you, you've either been to a football watching party or you've had neighbors who, who were doing mm. it and all of a sudden you just hear a whole bunch of screams and you know something cool happened or yeah, something bad happened. You can hear your neighbors yeah. cheering for the football game or not watching. And because of all that loudness, nobody notices that someone who walked off to get a beer has never come back or no. they didn't hear the scream which that's a fun premise mm. that's a perfectly good premise for a slasher uh, movie the 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 mask killer i hate the mask they could have done so oh, it, it looks like a rubber halloween mask and not i'm not, sure not it was fun way but uh, yeah it, it doesn't have it doesn't the art of the slasher movie mask is something <laughs> that is a, I, I think i think it's easy to take it for granted because you need to have something simple simple is iconic mm. But it also needs to be distinct. Yeah. From at least from the others. And so the, the Michael Myers mask. It's like plain white. It's blank face. Ghostly yeah, white. Kind of, yeah. That's, that's a scary mask. Jason um, Voorhees hockey mask doesn't really have anything to do with anything, but it's iconic. No one else has that. Jason Voorhees has never 
played hockey. They've missed out yeah, on a lot. It's it's it always struck me as odd that that stuck. Because at first, hockey at first, he had a bag over his head, mm-hmm. which eh, maybe a little less iconic, like instantly so. It's but scary though. It was scary. The, the, the but like the, sack, it's just yeah. the hockey mask was just sort of like it doesn't have anything to do with hockey. They oh, did a, such a good job in that remake, the Friday Thirteenth remake, of taking all of the disparate elements in that series. That they discovered over time, hmm. like the, the, putting the, them in a movie and making yeah. like kind of a real movie out of all it. the elements that we know of and associate with Jason Voorhees weren't in place in the first film. They weren't in place in the second film. They wouldn't be really in place until the fourth film, arguably even the sixth, because that's when he became undead. the The remake tried to take all of those decisions that happened over the course of multiple movies and multiple filmmakers and tried to make them seem like it was all an organic idea from the beginning. And the one thing they couldn't do was come up with any fucking reason why he's wearing a hockey mask. Yeah. Because it's really arbitrary. (laughs) And I I looked it up. Um, Those movies are set in New Jersey. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's not even the right mask. And it's not the right... Well, first of all, I think the first movie, like even by just a matter of weeks, predates the formation of the Jersey Devils, which was the local hockey team. Uh, I think the hockey team... uh, was founded like in 1984, the same year that Friday the 13th part three came out. Um, it was 83, whatever year that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's wearing a Detroit hockey mask for the Detroit Red, Red Wings. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that's not right. He's a local <laughs> boy. He needs to have a Red Wings mask. He's a local boy. <laughs> or not the Red Wings. He needs, yeah, he needs to have a Jersey Devils mask, yeah. not a Red Wings mask. No, that's, that's pretty funny actually. Yeah. So anyway, so they don't, they don't get that part right. No, um, uh, but yeah, but what I was going to say is I think the what they the filmmakers made this kind of kind of off the rack pretty generic slasher movie. Uh, yeah. What was the name? Jackariah Hastings, I think was the name of the bad guy. Something. It was Jackariah something. Jackariah yeah. something. Uh, yeah, he's like this, the, the boogeyman. He was, boogeyman. He was a serial killer. They executed him. He never died. He kept coming back. Mm-hmm. And he would always come back the third Saturday of every month. Yeah. Uh, there's a, someone, some, I think they tell the story to a little kid and she asks, what does he do the rest of the year? Yeah. They just... Don't answer that yeah, question, which is the same question everyone always asks about Michael Myers. Yeah, a, a, a rarity for slasher villains is a black man. Also rare. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's well, that's unusual. Yeah, we have Candyman. Is like kind uh, of the yeah. The, so we have very few. And Candyman uh, is also a tragic figure too. Right. So that's a little bit more complicated than just slash movie villain. There's not a lot of commentary for that. There's a little no. bit. Of, there's a little bit of social commentary it's, in it's Volume just, One. It's just nice but to see. But, it know, is. It's, um, you know. Uh, but so so they made this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are getting stalked. People are getting slashed. Mm-hmm. We, we're going to set it around this sort of a, for the rest of the country, this kind of obscure football uh, mm-hmm. phenomenon. But locally, really, a very lo- big locally, deal. it's very big deal. Yeah, uh, and they realized that they didn't really have enough to sell. That's mm-hmm. a little too specialized. So they added this kind of meta commentary on top of it. This is actually a, f- a, a, a lost film. A, a lost movie from the mid '90s. It's like if this. Yeah. Are, Look at some of the sla- even the cheap slashers from yeah, the mid nineties. They, they look way slicker than that. This is not a mid nineties slasher. This no. is an early eighties slasher that was also done on the cheap and like and, and, yeah, and, and so they they, the, the, they messed that the up. The commentary doesn't function with no. part five. However, there are moments in this movie in part five mm. where I think they were able to. I know it was intentional, but I don't think they were able to get it right all the time. There are moments of storytelling weirdness that just shined through and made it briefly entertaining. Um, when you watch, like, maybe some of the later Jason movies, for example. Mm. 
And you'd think, oh, this is a formula by now. You're just going to do the formula and we'll be easy. No, they always found a way to add something that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Like um, in Jason Goes to Hell. Jason Goes to Hell is the one where you find out Jason is actually a body-swapping demon. Don't ask. Uh, and, uh, it's the ninth film that introduced this new element. It's yeah. really fucking... It's, it's great opening because Jason gets like shot to hell by a SWAT team. And the guy is performing an autopsy on Jason. And then he just can't help himself. He just has to eat Jason's heart. Jason's heart. And then he becomes infected by Jason Voorhees. But no, Jason Voorhees is looking for a new host. And he'll like grab a guy and tie him up. And he's like, okay, so he's going to like, I don't know. Put Shunt his soul in him somehow. Put slime in his mouth. I don't know. Something gross, right? But first, shaves his beard off. He wants to look nice when he gets it's into that new body. It's just kind of weird, right? It's just a little detail that I think most people wouldn't have bothered to put in the movie. But it's some level of just specific weirdness. There's a bit at the beginning. The beginning of this movie made me really excited to see the rest of it because I thought it had its tone right. Uh-huh. Um, where it's a guy and his girlfriend or his wife, they live together, uh, and they're having an argument, and he's mad at her because they were at a dance, like a church function or a barn dance or something, and he saw her dancing very amorously with Johnny Stevens. If you took a drink every time the words Johnny Stevens are spoken aloud in the first Five minutes of this movie, you would be so blasted, you would enjoy the rest of it. (laughs) But he keeps saying it over and over and over again. And it got to the point where I'm watching this with my partner, Lopez da Silva, and we're like, Johnny Stevens is our favorite character. He's not even in the movie. He's just so omnipresent. He's like Harry Lime in The Third Man. I was going to say, what what was that uh, anecdote that Peter Bogdanovich tells? Yeah. Um, about how if you, if you talk if you about talk a character about a enough, character, yeah. well, it was, he was he was telling it secondhand through Orson Welles, but if you mm. talk about a character constantly, when that character shows up, it will feel like a big deal. Mm. Very basic screenwriting one-on-one type stuff. So the, char- the character doesn't have to do much and you already like, care about Oh my about God, it's them, Johnny yeah. Stevens. Like, mm. where the fuck was Johnny Stevens? You built him up so much. And that level of weirdness was fun. But so much of it is just... Oh, there's one other fun bit where, like, they're having, like, this party and a bunch of, like, sexy teens mm-hmm. might want to hook up. But also one guy, uh, he's, he brings his physical therapist because he's in a wheelchair. The physical therapist is, like, a 50-year-old guy who thought it was a costume party, so he dresses a football referee. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. And he keeps making football referee jokes. That's situational weirdness. I appreciated it's, that. That was kind of fun. It, it's kind of fun. It's not enough flavor to make, no. make the movie stand apart. It's no, like, but it's clearly it's, a filmmaker is trying to do something. I was you know? able to latch onto it briefly, and it made the movie yeah. a little bit more entertaining. There are moments of of oddness that I appreciate. There's a lot of, and thank God nothing happens to him. A lot of cats in these movies, just <laughs> incidental cats, and I appreciated that as well. It doesn't really amount to anything, and again, nothing bad ever happens to him. But at least. There are cats. <laughs> um, there's a couple of really like annoying, kind of ableist tropes that show up in this that yeah. are that are not cool. Um, but yeah, mostly this just feels like a cheap, not very good attempt to do a slasher movie horror throwback. Yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised when I like put on part one. Uh-huh. I kind of like part one. 
Well, part one is actually a good movie. A um, pretty good movie, yeah, actually, yeah. Part, part five is totally skippable. It's the kind yeah. of crap you'd thumb through while you're looking for something more like, interesting on Tubi. It's like, oh my god, uh, I can't believe that. Did they make a Prom Night 4? Yes. Mm. It sucks. Prom Night 4 is not good. Yeah. Prom Night 3 is very good. Prom, one is pretty good. Two, two and three are both amazing. Yeah. And four is Saturday, third Saturday in October, part five. It's yeah. just... There might be a moment here or there you can latch mm-hmm. onto and have a good time, but it's cheap. Yeah, if, if they it were, feels like an afterthought. If, yeah. if they were really going for a 90s vibe, uh, I mean, that's yeah. been done. The, the Fear Street movies. There's one called sure. Fear Street 1994. Well, and uh, even those and, don't feel like they were from the 90s. No, they were like they were 90s just set in the 90s. Um, yeah. Yeah, they, they could have done their homework. I feel like they did yeah. with um, uh, Part third, 1, part one uh, yeah. Third Saturday Part 1, because uh, it's... It has that sort of grindhouse aesthetic without being cloying about it. It's yeah. not one of those really obnoxious neo grindhouse not things. Not calling where... attention to it constantly. So, uh, or, yeah. so it does have like sort of that artificial film grain. Mm-hmm. It has that kind of milky, washed out texture mm-hmm. that a lot of exploitation movies at the time had, just because they were dealing with cheaper film stock. They captured uh, some of the cinematic language. They knew that you know when you were working on film stock. Mm-hmm. You weren't wasting it doing a ton of coverage. You had to; it was precious to you, especially yeah. on a low budget. So there's a lot more longer takes. Well, I was going to say more, yeah. uh, what this part one really understands mm-hmm. about exploitation movies, especially some of the older older ones from the late '70s, mm-hmm. uh, is that those are slow moving films. Yeah. A lot of them are really quiet. They have uh, really kind of you know, a lot of people go to John Carpenter scores as sort of like electronic mm-hmm. and repetitive, but this kind of does that correctly it does yeah. a john carpenter like score but the way john carpenter used the music not just imitating the sound yeah uh and yeah there's there's shots of like people walking up to a doorway like leaving a car and going up to a doorway that's bad filmmaking <laughs> but it's authentic well it's also uh, an, i think that's also an homage to texas chainsaw massacre one of the best mm-hmm. shots is just a, a a young woman walking up to a house yeah but a uh, very ominous low angle but, but yeah. i feel like they're not trying to call attention to their homage i think no. they're trying to do something they're just trying to do the real thing like what if we, what, let's actually make a movie like that yeah and and it's pretty good. It's pretty uh, it's, good. It, there's yeah. there's a lot where it gets a little distracted with some really obnoxious kind of jokes. Yeah. Um, there's a sequence where uh, two of the main characters are investigating, um, and this is the origin story of the killer. Yeah, so basically the so, beginning of the movie, the killer has already been captured. It's the night of his execution. The cop mm. who captured him and I think the, a relative of one of the victims mm. are invited to watch the execution. But... He's executed, and he's taken away to a cemetery, and they follow the car to the cemetery, and by the time they get there, there's, like, a distraction, and they get there a little late. He's already, like, killed everyone he's, of the grave diggers. sprung back to life. And, and they're still, like, oh, God, we have to track down, yeah. him down, because now this undead yeah. serial killer is driving around in a hearse, and he's going to kill people on the third Saturday in October. And so a lot of the movie is those two characters trying to hunt them down in a very Dr. Loomis kind of way, but if Dr. Loomis had, like, a fun sidekick. Yeah. Um, let, let me look up the name of the actors because I think yeah, th- those two uh, in particular um, Darius, Will- Darius Willis and K.J. Baker Yeah, uh, and K.J. Baker is named Vicky Newton and he says that a lot he says her full name Vicky Newton, Newton, Vicky which, Newton to Vicky, the yeah. point that even she brings it up why do you keep doing that <laughs> um, uh, and the filmmakers think they're funnier than I do yeah because there's a lot of kind of mugging and joking and circular um, yeah. conversation that somebody thought was really amusing but I don't yeah. Um, there's a bit which I think could have played a little bit better where they're trying to uh, probe a different character for racism. Yeah. Uh, a guy, a guy yeah, basically yeah. says, because uh, the yeah, detective they, they, is, is, is a black man, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, uh, you're, you're not, we don't take kindly to... To your if, kind around and here. And he basically says, just like, says, pushes it, oh, do you mean police officers? Hmm. Oh, you must mean the fathers of football players who play for Tennessee or Alabama. Hmm. And you're like, oh, no, no, I love those football players. Okay, well, then I'm a little lost. Yeah. And, what is it? And and there there could have been a really great moment where he, like, actually confronts this guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and even if, if, if it paid off that uh, he, he was, like, a legit bigot yeah. or it was a misunderstanding, there's a way to play that scene yeah. either way. And this it doesn't do either of those it things. Kinda it kind of does. It kind of just sort of deflates. It leads to a conversation where, because he had been, like, basically being a real creep to Vicky Newton. Mm. Um, and that's when... The cop shows up and tries to intervene, and then it becomes more about the cops, uh, more about racism than about misogyny. But they actually do have a conversation about how difficult it is for them because they're, they're, a black cop wasn't the protagonist of a lot of slasher movies at the time. That would have been a novel element. Mm. Uh, and it's cool that they addressed that and tried to incorporate that a little bit in oh, a way yeah, that yeah, felt no, organic that's, to that's the time. Fair. Yeah, so yeah. I um, think that's kind of cool. Did they nail it? No, but mm. I, there's this weird thing, though, where when you're trying to make a movie that feels like it was made at a certain time, especially when you're trying to get away with it, not when you're doing like a sketch comedy thing, yeah. but like you're trying to really give people that vibe and try not to take them out of it by making a lot of like jokes about it or something about. Hmm. foreshadows the future they couldn't possibly have known that kind of thing we're trying to really let them live in that world um we've grown a lot as a society in that time <laughs> and a lot of early of earlier movies of all genres but horror is certainly one of them will have problematic elements even in movies that we think are really good oh yeah sometimes there's a lot of them and that movie becomes hard to watch sometimes it just becomes this movie's really good but yeah. there's that one scene which kind of sucks yeah, or is like, really um, offensive. Like, I, I love that movie Swing Time. Sure. There's also... It's, it's, there's, also there's a blackface yeah. number in it. Yeah, there's, there's uh, plenty of that yeah, shit. Like, it, it, kind of, kind of, like, the dancing is amazing, but he's in... Why? Look at him in that makeup. It it's like, geez, it's like... I'm totally with you. Uh, so, so this is one of those things where there's some of the elements of these movies, even the one that was recreating like a film from the 90s, allegedly... Are basically like, yeah, there probably would have been more fat phobia and more mm. ableism then than now. You're still choosing to include that now. You don't yeah, have to do yeah. that. It's not like it won't work unless you put the offensive stuff in. Yeah, and there, I think and the, there's the part five didn't do that very well, but I think this one does it pretty good. I, I think, yeah, there's a way. I think this one. Uh at least has conversations about it rather mm -hmm. than just showing you the offensive thing. And it feels um, like something that might actually yeah. have been seen in a movie at the time. So uh, I, I praised it slow pace, but it also is death in certain scenes. It gets, uh, it gets so, a little tired. Some of like cool. the horror yeah. and building dread, like it does that stuff well, mm -hmm. but there's long conversations that are really just drag mm -hmm. on. There's a lot of scenes in a diner that just go on way too long. There's this whole bit. Uh, there's and, there's and more the, cat they, stuff where characters yeah. just start meowing at each other constantly, which, which isn't quite as funny as they think it is. I think if they had done it once, it would have been fine because it's just this one weird thing. But then they do it uh, yeah. later on as well, and it kind of becomes it gets less old. funny. It just does. Uh, it just doesn't. And then get they any start better. introducing like subplots and other characters late in the film, yeah. and sort of I'm going to go off to this party. It's like who are these characters you're going with? We didn't yeah. didn't know a lot. Now, about now there are no. these characters, yeah. and um, I, I got to like some of them. Yeah, but you look yeah. at a lot of the the slashers from the 1970s. They're really trim. They introduce yeah. the characters, and not a lot of them, and then. 
the body count in the 1970s wasn't very high, so you True. don't need a lot of characters to kill yeah. off. Yeah. How many people die in Halloween? Like four. Uh, it's it's not a it's not like 15 One, people two, die in that movie. Three. Yeah, it's it's definitely so. Lower, Michael Myers' sister. Lower, yeah, Michael Myers' sister. Uh, um, PJ Souls. Uh, Adrian uh, Barbeau. Uh, Paul. Not, not Adrian Barbeau. Or not Adrian. Uh, um, uh, Loomis. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, uh, you've got uh, oh the uh, like the the guy whose car he steals. Oh yeah, the mechanic. The mechanic, at least that guy. A mm. um, couple of dogs. But that's uh, fine. That's fine. Yeah, but and, like, and, yeah, one not, is, not, and one of them is not on camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think I might be forgetting someone, but that's about it. Oh, yeah, it's not a lot. Um, it it it's just stretched out over the movie, mm. so it feels like there's more yeah. than there are. Uh, here, body count's a little high. Um, it's very funny. There's like there's like this one bit. Because it's clearly, they even say in part five that they're just flagrantly knocking off Halloween. Mm. They're also flagrantly knocking off Black Christmas. There's a scene where a character who's like really high and like dancing around a house goes downstairs and sees a bunch of creepy Christmas decorations are up. Like in the like oh, in the yeah. attic in Black Christmas. And even with like the rocking chair. And she's just like, nope! And just <laughs> walks right out again. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um, yeah, honestly, like I, I gotta say... This is not bad. This is actually a pretty good slasher movie throwback. It's not amazing. The The main villain still doesn't have a lot of personality of their own. It doesn't really feel like, why are you doing this? What makes you special as a serial killer? And, and something this film yeah. is lacking is that, is the moment. It's like, yeah. uh, like when my, like uh, there's the, the scene at the end of Halloween where we cut to the lawn and he's gone. Yeah, and like some, some iconic the, the, moment. These yeah. moments where uh, yeah. the killer gets to sort of like stand up and be regarded for a minute. I feel like yeah. there's not look a lot at, of look that at in how, this movie. That's the thing. The killer in these movies, he's too incidental. Yeah. He doesn't really seem like an otherworldly boogeyman. He's not hanging over everything. Yeah, the, the, he doesn't that, loom. That, he doesn't, feel, large, he doesn't feel larger than life. He sadly mm. just feels too much like just life. Um, and uh, I, I feel like that's just filmmaking. There's definitely you could have told the exact same movie, and just treated that character on camera a little differently, made mm. them feel a little bit more legendary. Um, but yeah, altogether, if if I would say, unless you're really invested in this kind of thing. You could probably skip part five, but part one's yeah. totally worth it if you're like horror movies, yeah, I, I feel like slasher part, movies and horror throwbacks. Yeah, unfortunately, part five doesn't enhance part really. one. There's not connective material. There's, there's a few. A there's some a characters bit, and locations um, that come back, and if you pay attention, there's a few things that uh, track. But it it's not like it doesn't feel incomplete. Like yeah. you could watch that first movie and you'd feel like you got it. You know. Um, but yeah, I, I like this one a lot better than, uh, and, and we've complained about mm. this before, when you're going through mm. you know, a streaming service looking for an exploitation movie to watch. Yeah. And if it was made in 1983, you know you're good. Uh, and if it was made in 2006, you run away. Yeah, this is an exception to that. Yeah, this this yeah. is a newer neo-grindhouse that is actually getting a lot of the spirit correctly. Is yeah. it really low budget? Yes. Is yeah. it really like solid all the way through? No. But mm. it's doing something correctly, and I, yeah. I admire that. Yeah. All right, uh, so let's review our movies on the critically acclaimed scale. Uh, once again, we review movies on a scale of C- to C+. The lowest you can get is a C-. That's below average. That's a movie we don't recommend, whether it's just not particularly good or genuinely terrible. Uh, a C is average. Some good, some bad, more for one audience than another. You know, just in the middle. Mm. Uh, and then C+, is above average. Those are movies we genuinely recommend. We think they're really good, possibly even amazing. Whitney, on mm. that note, uh, let's let's 
do them one at a time. Uh, the third Saturday in October, Volume One. Uh, yeah, Part One, I think, uh, is a C. Okay. Uh, it's it's really so, it's not a C plus. It's not yeah, not transcending probably much, a bit of a but stretch, it's, it's yeah. definitely watchable and it's mm. like I said, it's doing something correctly. Yeah. Uh, um, I agree. I think it's a. I think it's a high C. Okay. I think, especially as a horror fan who likes these kinds of uh, throwback films, I think they did an admirable job of capturing the feel and overall aesthetic of an early, early, early slasher. Yeah. Uh, it is mostly entertaining, a little dry in parts, but that's also kind of accurate. So I'm not going to give it too many demerits. It just never does anything so remarkably well that it becomes an unequivocal recommendation. Yeah, yeah. But if you're into this kind of thing, it's probably worth checking out. Uh, the third Saturday in October, part five. As a C minus. Yeah. It's, it, uh, rather unfortunate, it feels like the gimmick is tacked on rather than yeah. making any kind of real commentary about the way slasher movies were made mm. in the era it was supposed to have been made. If it had been made in the nineteen uh, in nineteen ninety four, it would have had a killer soundtrack. It would have had a killer uh, soundtrack. Yeah. It, especially even if it was a sequel, it would have mm. had some more money behind it. And that's yeah. that's the thing. This doesn't feel like the premise makes sense for it. Yeah. If in fact, what it feels like to me more than anything else is a test run for the third Saturday Night October Part One. Yeah. It feels like we made this movie and now we figured out how to make a movie better and now we can do part one and it's going to be a lot better. Mm. Um, is it the worst thing ever? Uh, no. Yeah. Is it Although, particularly good? No. I'm I'll also say, giving it a C-. I'll say this. If, if you do want to see this as some sort of like big genre experiment, mm-hmm. I mean, the first one's usually the best one, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Yeah. Can't argue with that. Um, I would be amused if they made all of them but kept doing them out of order, like the slasher movie Craymaster Cycle or something. <laughs> like the, the, vol, Volume 3 was four hours long. The only thing that survived was a work print. It's weird. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. One Ranger. Uh, I'm going to give this, again, this is this is on a scale, you know, a sliding scale, you know, as a low-budget straight-to-video action movie with those expectations attached to it. This is a very low C+. All right. This does what it sets out to do. It is a badass, rah-rah, Texas Ranger action movie with some good action sequences, some decent characters, and some pretty bad accents. Uh, not going to give it too many demerits from that. But th- I was impressed. This is actually like very effective. If this was like the second half of a double feature you would go, you know, glad we stayed for that second one. That was a little better than I thought it would be. And then lastly, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, There's so much to admire in this movie. It's also just a a big old, you you called it a sloppy kiss. It's just sloppy. It kind of, it sprawls. Mm. It's a lot of things at once. It's a C. Mm. Uh, There's a lot lot to enjoy. Mm. And uh, a a lot of uh, harrowing horror imagery and fun action sequences and good characters. Uh, that they don't hang together very well uh, bothers me less this time around than in the previous Guardians movies. Yeah, I think I think two was somewhat undone by it. Here, I think there's definitely there's so much in it that the balance gets thrown off here and there. Mm. But I think the good dramatically outweighs the bad. I'm going to give it a C plus. Okay, I'm really really satisfied with it overall. There's a lot of creativity here. There's a lot of fun character stuff. A genuine attempt to use the framework of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to tell a story with some resonance talking about things that actually matter. Yeah. Animal testing, healthcare, just grief and loss. Um, 
So, yeah, I think overall this works really, really well. So I'm going to give it a C+. It's not my favorite Marvel movie, but it's higher up on the list than I was anticipating. So All good right. for them. Um, anyway, and that is it for this episode of Critically right. Acclaimed. <laughs> it's the podcast, and it's over now. Uh, but uh, we'll be back next week with reviews of whatever comes out this week. We'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll review it. We just won't look it up ahead of time. <laughs> I don't even we can't, remember. We can't be bothered. <laughs> I don't remember. It's it's nearly one a.m. and I can't be bothered. Uh, we'll be, but we'll review it. Mm. Um, so thank you everybody for listening. Uh, don't forget you can join us on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, where we have a lot of exclusive shows. You can listen to all of our regular shows ad free, but you can also listen to shows like Only the Best. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. All our Yesterdays. We review every single episode of Star Trek in order. Uh, We're also starting, at the end of this week, a brand new series Mm -hmm. called Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. Talking about all the Godzilla movies. On Friday. Every every single Godzilla movie, including the ones that are only tangentially related but technically canon, we're going to be reviewing them every Friday on Thank Godzilla, It's Friday. Patrons are going to get the episode one week in advance. So if you just want to wait and hear on the regular show, on the regular feed, for the first episode, that'll debut Friday. Patrons already have it. <laughs> so you can head on over right now. And you can sign up and you can listen to the first episode of Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. Ad free. Or you can wait for Friday. It's your call. Who am I to judge? <laughs> if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode or anything at all you want us to talk about on the air, you can always email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, send us a physical letter to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If you want soap... Believe it or not, we do that too. Uh, my partner, M. Lampas Da Silva, and I, we have a Patreon called the Salt Cat Soap of the Month Club. That's at patreon.com slash saltcatsoap, all one word. And we send you one designer soap every month. Our patrons get to vote on them. We also have a lifestyle podcast we've attached to that. It's a little sweetener, a little added incentive. And if you can't wait uh, for the beginning of the month for a soap, we also have a Ko-Fi store, ko-fi.com slash saltcatsoap. And you can buy soaps that we have designed through there. Uh, we also, uh, that's the one place where we ship soaps internationally. So if you want a soap, perhaps for Mother's Day, Mother's Day is coming up, you can head on over to our Ko-Fi store and we'll send that right out to you. So thank you everybody for following along with that. That's on social media as well, at Salt Cat Soap. And I think that's about everything. So thank you once again for listening and never forget, everyone's a critic. I'm sorry, what? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.